11, Luke chapter 11, verse 14 to 28. This is God's word. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, By Beelzebul, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebul. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armour in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When an impure spirit comes out of a person that goes through the places, arid places, seeking rest and does not find it, then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. This is God's word. You know, one of the things that the Bible doesn't shy away from is talking about demonic activity, talking about demons and uh, demon possession. Uh, Throughout the pages of Scripture, it just presents it as a matter of fact that there are evil, supernatural beings uh, that can possess people. Now, these days, people often dismiss this as just being uh, superstition. You know, often it's claimed that um, the Bible had like a pre-scientific understanding of things like mental illness and disabilities and just attributed it all to to demons and uh, evil and all that sort of stuff. Uh, But it's actually not that simple because even in the Bible, there's a distinction made between uh, disabilities and uh, mental illness and things caused by physical or with physical causes and those that are attributed to uh, demons. And uh, you can see that in Jesus, um, you know, sometimes it just says he healed a person, made them better. Uh, Other times, like in this case, he cast out a demon and that's what freed the person of uh, their condition. Um, So there is a distinction made in the Bible even, but that's not all. If we actually think about all of the collective information over the last however many thousand years, Uh, What does that tell us? It tells us that just the continuing existence of evil in the world and all of the problems of humanity, they're just so complex that there has to be more than just physical causes. Uh, Just because we don't understand demonic activity doesn't mean that it cannot exist. And so we need to let the Word of God inform our thinking on this. 
And in this passage, we actually see that we miss out on something very important about Jesus and about what he has come to do in the world if we dismiss demons and Satan as just superstition. There is something quite amazing about what Jesus has come to do about evil that we see in this passage. And so we're going to look at this passage under two headings. Uh, First, that Jesus is the stronger man who has come to plunder the kingdom of darkness. And that's in verses 14 to 22. And then in the rest of the passage, verses 23 to 28, Jesus lays out three implications for us today. Okay, the stronger man who has come to plunder the kingdom of darkness. What does that mean for us? Three implications. Okay, so let's look at that. The stronger man. Uh, Here, Luke, he briefly records this. It's a miracle. Jesus casts out a demon frees a man from being mute. And uh, the crowd are amazed. Uh, They see this display of power. Uh, But as is often the case around Jesus, there's always complainers, always someone to grumble about what's going on. And in this case, there's two groups of grumblers. Uh, The first one are the the cynical group. Uh, They're the ones who are antagonistic toward Jesus. And they see Jesus do this miraculous healing of a man, they don't deny that it's happened. Instead, they have to come up with an explanation. And so we're told in verse 15 that they attribute Jesus' power to Beelzebul, which is just another name for um, Satan at the time. So they're saying that Jesus is just driving out demons by the power of Satan. Uh, Matthew tells us that that was actually the religious leaders who were saying that. Now, the other group that we see in verse 16, they're not as antagonistic toward Jesus. They're not as cynical. They don't assume the worst in Jesus. But these are the sceptical group. They're the ones who, well, they demand another sign, which is quite ironic because Jesus has just given them a sign, but they go, no, 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 we need more evidence. And you've got to start asking, well, how much evidence is enough? How much before you actually take it seriously? And so Jesus responds to these two groups. We're going to look at the response to the first group today, and we'll look at the response to the second group next week. Uh, But Jesus, he responds to these cynical ones. These are the ones who are accusing him of using the power of Satan to drive out demons. And Jesus says, do you know what? That is completely illogical. Think about it. If I'm casting out demons, freeing people from uh, Satan's work, then if I'm using the power of Satan, then what what does that mean? It means Satan's attacking his own army. That makes no sense. Uh, That's that's what he says there in verse 17 and 18. So that's one reason it makes no sense. The other one, he says, look, if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, then who do your followers drive them out? Okay, apparently the Pharisees, uh, they could cast out demons. You know, they could free people from bondage. And uh, they were very quick to pat themselves on the back and claim, you know, look, God is working through us. That confirms that we're on God's side. And Jesus says, well, if, if you're claiming that's by the power of God, then why are you accusing me of the opposite? Okay, doesn't that call into question your own little network? Anyway, so he points out how illogical it is. But then Jesus goes on to give us the proper understanding of what's going on. 
He's cast out a demon. What does that mean? What is the interpretation? Jesus tells us in verses 20 to 22. And his answer, it's actually very confronting because it has implications for all of us. We can't hear this and just go away as if it all doesn't matter. No, no, if we understand what Jesus is saying here, we have to make a decision today. We have to do something about it. So let's have a look what he says. Uh, first in verse 20, he tells us that he drives out demons by the finger of God. It's another way of saying that God's power is at work here. This is God at work, the finger of God. That actually comes from the book of Exodus. You know, when Moses did all of those signs and initially the magicians in Pharaoh's court, they were like, oh yeah, we can do that. And so they would copy the sign. But by the third sign that Moses did, the magicians go, hang on a minute, this is no magic show. This is the finger of God. This is God's power that we've encountered. <clears throat> and so they quickly back down. Um, that's what's going on here. The power of God is at, at work. But it's more than just a display of power. This is not just to impress people. This is actually, Jesus says, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. That's what's going on here. Here we have the kingdom of God. It's breaking into the world in Jesus. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is God's rule on the earth. When God rules on the earth, what happens to evil? It's cast out. Okay, so can you imagine the kingdom of God encompassing the whole earth? What happens to evil? Cast out forever. What happens to death? Cast out. That's what happens when the kingdom of God comes. And so here we see in Jesus, the kingdom is breaking in already. We're seeing signs that it's here because demons are being cast out. Uh, the, the, the deaf can hear again. The blind can see. Dead are being raised. See, the kingdom of God has come. And most importantly, this identifies Jesus as the one through whom you enter the kingdom of God. It's come in Jesus. Now Jesus goes on in these two verses here to give uh, an illustration of how the kingdom of God works, how the kingdom of God overthrows evil. And so it's a, it's a very helpful illustration to, to help us understand what Jesus came to do. He says that when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. Who is that strong man that he's talking about? He's talking about Satan. Okay, Jesus is saying that, or well, he's picturing Satan as having what looks like an impenetrable fortress full of possessions. And so this is a, a picture of Satan's hold on the world. The possessions he has are all the lost souls that are in bondage to sin. Satan claims all of those as his own. And so we can call this fortress the kingdom of Satan. And so what Jesus is illustrating there in verse 21 is the state of the world ever since the fall of humanity. So it's in Genesis 3. Um, when God created the world at the start, everything was perfect. He had God's people in God's place under his rule. It was really a picture of the kingdom. 
There was no evil, no suffering, no death. And yet in Genesis 3, we see there that the serpent comes along and, and, and he tempts Adam and Eve. They decide to side with the devil, rejecting God, and as a result, they're plunged into sin and death. The powers of darkness have entered and taken over. And so as a result, Satan now claims humanity as his own because humanity follows his way of rebellion against God. And so it's as if humanity now lives under the rule of Satan, even though many don't even realise that. Uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 talks about this. Uh, it says that the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. How do you know if you're of the devil? You sin. So there you go. Satan claims the world is his kingdom and humanity as, as his possessions. He's the strong man. How can we be set free? Well, Jesus continues the illustration. So in verse 22, Jesus says, but when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armour in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Who is the stronger man? It's Jesus. Uh, Jesus here is showing that this is how the kingdom of God comes along and overthrows evil. It's the stronger man. It's Jesus. And Jesus has, has, has already proved that by casting out that demon uh, from that man that was made mute. And so Jesus is saying here that what he did for that mute man was just a little snapshot of the whole reason that he came into the earth. It's to do that for the whole earth, for all, to destroy evil, cast it out, to take away the weapons of Satan and divide up his possessions. Uh, in fact, that's why the rest of 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So how did Jesus actually do that? How does he destroy the work of the evil one? How does he free us from evil and bring us into the kingdom of God? And to understand how, you need to realise that Satan uses two weapons to keep people as his possessions. He uses temptation and he uses accusation. See, Satan's power to tempt us and his power to accuse us is completely inescapable unless something is done about our sin. See, while we remain in sin, while we remain cut off from God, living our own way, rejecting God's rule, if we remain in that state, we have no power to resist temptation. We just go along with the evil one and then we have no power to, to avoid the accusations of the evil one. Uh, because Satan can accuse us, say these people deserve to be cast into hell along with him. And we have no leg to stand on. We can't say, no, 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 because we've, we've done the right thing. No, we, have, we can't stand. Something has to be done about our sin. We cannot be set free unless our sin is taken away. How did Jesus do that? Well, remember, he's on the road to Jerusalem. He's going to the cross. It's at the cross where he, he finally defeats Satan because he pays for our sin, takes it away. That means Satan can no longer accuse you. 
If you believe in Jesus, your sin is gone. Satan can try to accuse you as much as he like, but he has no basis for those charges because the sin has been taken away at the cross and therefore he has no hold on you. And not only that, but for everyone that Christ dies for, God makes those alive, gives you a new heart, enables you to now walk in righteousness, resisting the temptations of the evil one. You have the ability to say no to Satan. In fact, uh, we're told that we're given the very armour of God to be able to withstand uh, the assaults of the evil one. And that means that if you're in Christ, you are now safe. Okay? You are set free out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son. That's how Jesus sets you free. And so Jesus is the stronger man. Jesus is the one, the warrior king, the one who has come to deliver us from evil. Remember just one, oh, two passages ago, we looked at this. What did Jesus teach us to pray? Your kingdom come. Here's the answer. It's fulfilled in Jesus. He brings the kingdom. He taught us to pray, deliver us from the evil one. How is that prayer answered? Jesus has come. He's gone to the cross to set us free. And so as we embrace that, we are now able to be delivered from the evil one. <clears throat> now, we're probably not that uh, used to thinking about Jesus like this. Now, we think about Jesus as our saviour from sin. But we need to also think of Jesus as our warrior, the one who fights for us, the one who has won the victory, who has fought the battle and come out victorious, risen from the dead. That's his victory. And that's the victory that everyone who believes in has for themselves. So that's the first thing. Jesus is the stronger man who delivers from evil. Now, in the rest of the passage, verses 23 to 28, Jesus now lays out the implications of that. If he is the stronger man, if he brings the kingdom of God, then what does that mean for you? Three things. Three things. Number one, there is now no neutrality. There is now no neutral zone. Right? Uh, Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. So this is the logical implication of what Jesus has just said. He's just divided all of humanity into one of two kingdoms, either the kingdom of Satan or the kingdom of God. Okay, If you haven't been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the sun, then that means you're still in the kingdom of darkness. You're still under the rule of Satan. You're still his possession. And that's why Jesus can say, whoever is not for me is against me. Because if you're in Satan's kingdom under his rule, then you're an enemy of God. You're against Jesus. Uh, people often hear that and say, hang on a minute, I'm not against Jesus, I'm just not for him. You know, I'm, I'm not... I don't hate him. I'm just not going to follow him. But do you realise there's no such thing as that? You know, sometimes we talk about people sitting on the fence. There is no fence. 
you're either in one kingdom or the other. You're either for Jesus, following him, living with him as Lord of your life, or you're under the rule of Satan. There's no middle ground. I mean, Jesus, he's actually using uh, warfare language. Yeah, there's, there's a war going on, a cosmic battle. And we're all in the war. We're all in the fight. And when you're in a war on the battleground, you know the only thing that matters is which side are you on. You can't be out on a battlefield and uh, you know, the troops are coming. You can't say, hang on a minute, I'm just a spectator. Okay, I'm just on the fence. <laughs> there is no fence. Which side are you on? Are you for Jesus? If you're not, then you're for Satan. There's no middle ground. So you need to embrace Jesus as king. That's, that's the first implication. The second implication of this, if Jesus is the stronger man who brings the kingdom, the second implication is that there is no other freedom from evil apart from Jesus. Nowhere else can you find true deliverance. It's only in Jesus. And Jesus gets this across in a very interesting way. I think maybe when we read that passage, perhaps verses 24 to 26 caught your eye and think, hang on, what's going on there? That all seems a little bit weird. Uh, but Jesus, he's teaching us that there's only one way to be truly free from evil. So let's read it again. He, he says in verse 24, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places, uh, seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. So here we have a picture of someone who experiences some freedom, some deliverance from evil for a short time. Not only is that freedom short-lived, but when it's over, the condition is far worse. Now, what is that teaching us? What is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying that we're only ever truly free from Satan's clutches. You're only truly delivered from evil if someone stronger comes in and occupies your life. Okay, you can clean up your house, you can sweep it clean, put it in order. In other words, get your life in order. But if Jesus doesn't then come into your life and take over, you're still not free. It's, you're not free. In fact, the condition will just get worse. The only way the impure spirit cannot return is if the house is occupied by someone stronger. Remember, the stronger man is Jesus. And this is actually very helpful to think through. Remember earlier in the passage, it mentioned um, the, the religious leaders um, who could cast out demons. Uh, have you ever thought about that? What did that actually mean? You know, they're the, the Pharisees casting out demons. What did that actually produce in people? Did it really set people free and transfer them into the kingdom of God? And the answer is absolutely not. Not at all. And uh, 
we know that because what, what was the Pharisees' message? What is it that they were going around teaching? Moralism. They were saying to people, you need to clean your life up. Here are the rules. If you keep the rules, you can clean yourself up and make yourself acceptable to God. That was their message. It was a message of salvation by works. That's what they were going around preaching. And so what did that produce? It produced people whose lives might have been cleaned up from what they used to be, but were they delivered from evil? Were they transferred into the kingdom of God? No. Uh, Jesus actually describes the Pharisees' converts in Matthew 23, verse 15, as twice as much a child of hell. Twice as much. Now, why is that? I mean, their lives are cleaned up. Surely that's better. But no, what is the result of moralism? Even if someone achieves a nice, clean, tidy life, what does it produce? It produces smug self-righteousness. That I have kept the rules. Look at me. I'm better than everyone else who doesn't keep the rules. That's far worse condition. Do you see how this applies? Or what about the people who try to keep the rules but they can't? What does that produce? Despair. I'll never make it. A worse condition. And so either way, all that the Pharisees could produce was making people further from God with their message of self-righteousness. Only Jesus can set you free. And so there's actually a warning um, for all of us here today. You know, it's especially in a church context. Uh, you could easily imagine people joining a church and uh, wanting to fit in. And so, well, I better clean up my life. I better make sure I'm you know, keeping the rules so I can fit in. And yet there's a danger there that you clean up your life, make yourself respectable, you know, house clean, put in order. But if you haven't come to Jesus, if, you haven't, if your life hasn't been taken over by him, you're still separate from him. You're still lost. You're still in the kingdom of darkness. It's not until Jesus takes over your life that you are free. And so we need to make sure that we don't just think of being a Christian as I go to church on Sunday, I don't do too much dodgy stuff, uh, you know, I'm fairly respectable. No, no, no. Have you come to know Jesus as Lord of your life? Is he your king? Right? Is there a true transformation, true repentance, turning from sin, but turning to the Lord, turning to living with Jesus as your king? That's what true repentance is. It's never just turning from sin. It's always turning to the Lord Jesus and having him as the ruler of your life. And so the, the story about the roaming demon, it's just to show us that we're only truly free from the bondage of sin when we've been taken over by the stronger man, by Jesus, when his power comes into your life and completely renews you. That's the only way to be free. <clears throat> now the third implication is in uh, the last two verses. And... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, the third implication is that there can be no sentimentality when it comes to Jesus. 
Jesus is teaching um, verse 27 uh, and it says, As he was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave birth to you and nursed you. And uh, you can sort of understand um, what's going on there because you know, Jesus was an incredible teacher. And so this woman thought, wow, his mum must be so proud of him. And so she yells out this, this blessing. She's really admiring Jesus, thinks he's wonderful. Uh, and Jesus, he doesn't rebuke her, but he does you know, turn, turn that saying into what is actually true blessing. And he says, no, no, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So what's that about? Jesus is making sure that if we realise who he really is, if he really is the king, if he really is the saviour, then it's, it can never be enough just to have nice thoughts about Jesus. Jesus is making sure that people don't mistake him just for a great teacher. He's not interested in whether we admire him. He's not interested in whether we think nice thoughts about him. What Jesus is interested in, because of who he is, is that we say to him, you really are the Lord. You really are the King. And I'm going to show that in my life by hearing and obeying. That's what it looks like to have Jesus as your King. There's no sentimentality. And see, that is actually where true blessing is found. Living under the Lordship of Christ. That's the blessing. That's the blessing that he's won for us, that we can now be in his kingdom. And in the end, that is the real evidence, that you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus. That there is an attitude of listening and obeying. See, what Jesus came to do is this. The kingdom of God has come upon you. That's what he came to do. It's a complete takeover because he is the true king. And when he takes over, you stop trying to save yourself and you rest in his salvation. You stop trying to live as though you were the ruler of your own life. You submit to his rule. That's when you're free. That's true freedom. There's no other freedom from evil other than in Jesus. Only his power can set us free because he is the stronger man who sets the captives free. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you for this wonderful picture of a, a powerful saviour, a powerful king, one who comes along into the very realm of darkness and plunders the possessions of the evil one. We praise you, Lord, that we can see that in this, uh, even in this uh, little miracle of casting out that demon. Father, we praise you that Jesus is the stronger man. We thank you that uh, evil will not win in this world, that it's not just going to end with everyone killing each other, uh, but we praise you, Father, that your kingdom has come and that it is coming, that when Jesus returns, that the kingdom will come in its fullness and, and only then will evil be forever gone, that there will be no more evil, no more, not even any sickness or death, no suffering. We praise you for this wonderful hope, all because of Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, each of us can be 
delivered from evil even now as we put our trust in Jesus. Lord, we pray that we would um, follow Christ, that we would truly recognise him as the Lord. And where there is areas in our lives where we, we struggle with this, where we often return to the old way, uh, even giving in to temptation, oh, Father, we pray that you would forgive us of that, but we also pray that you would renew our commitment to follow Christ, that we would embrace the armour that he has given us, that we would stand firm against the attacks of the evil one. We know that he's like a roaring lion looking for people to devour, but we can resist him by your grace. So help us to stand firm. We also pray for your people throughout the earth, Lord, who are particularly targeted by evil, uh, for those believers who are persecuted. We pray for their protection, Lord. We pray that they would uh, each day renew their their hope because they have a king who has come and has gone to the cross and, and paid for sin, set us free. We pray that that would be their strength and their joy and that you would carry them through. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.